Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into a game day edition of Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. Cameron is there with Brad Klein. And the big news of the day has to be Syracuse against Wake Forest. We're going to touch on a lot with the uh, uh, the transferring of Taj Harris. We got some five-star review as we always do. But we have to start off with the game today. Syracuse against 19th ranked Wake Forest. Brad, a lot going into this game. A lot of expectations, maybe good, maybe bad. How are you looking at this Wake Forest team from a Syracuse perspective? I'm looking at them as the team to beat in the ACC, right? You After the loss to Florida State, I think a lot of people were disappointed in how Syracuse opened up ACC play, and rightfully so. FSU had zero wins going into that game, but... I think they proved that they're a little bit better than people thought, and I think that means that it was a better ACC litmus test than we thought it would. The ACC is wide open this year. Anytime Wake Forest at number 19 in the country is the team to beat in the ACC, you know that's true, right? So I think it's a golden opportunity for Syracuse, and they have to treat it as such. And you mentioned against Florida State that if there's any positives you can take from it, Syracuse can hold its own maybe when the defense does struggle. And that's one thing that I took away from the game is the offense can be potent when Garrett Schrader is back there with Sean Tucker, with the receivers that Syracuse has. And that offense really needs to show out against this Wake Forest team. Top five defense in the ACC. We already talked about it, 19th in the country. This is a team that is 5-0 and and is shocking most people being in the spot right now makes sense with how uh, you know off the ACC has been with Clemson and North Carolina in their states right now. But with Wake Forest, it's a defense that could provide a lot of struggle for Garrett Schrader. It is. Uh, you know, it's funny, though, because Garrett Schrader showed me a lot against Florida State, right? And I think going into that game after Liberty, he throws for 77 yards People were thinking, okay, he's not even Eric Dungy with his arm, right? And he's just a runner who hands the ball off to a better runner. And what Florida, what happened with Florida State is the Seminoles stacked the box, tried to take Sean Tucker out of the game, and they basically did with him still going for over 100 yards, which Crazy. is pretty incredible, if you ask me. And Garrett Trader was dared to throw the ball, and he did. And to do that without Taj Harris, and we'll talk more about the absence of Taj Harris going forward later in the show, but to move the ball vertically the way he did against Florida State, didn't do it that much, had under 200 yards passing, but to do it sparingly at least was very impressive. Brad, it's one of the first times when Garrett Schrader is actually using his running game as a threat in the passing game. That's something that I think was missing against Liberty. A lot of the times when Garrett Schrader would get out of the pocket, there really wasn't a time when he wouldn't run the ball. 
Now, in this game, or in last week's game against Florida State, what I saw from Garrett Schrader is, yeah, he's not going to sling it like Tommy DeVito. He's not a better thrower than Tommy DeVito, but he at least can use his running game as a threat to call some passing plays and get it out to his receivers. Yeah, he is, he is, but let's make sure we're not giving Garrett Schrader more credit than he deserves, right? Because it's a different playbook. The, the Garrett Schrader playbook and the Tommy DeVito playbook, very different. And now, is that fair to Tommy DeVito? Probably not, right? But but that's the case. And the RPOs have been wildly successful for Garrett Schrader, and that's really opened up the passing game. So, yes, he, he's, he was a lot better as a passer against Florida State than he was Liberty, and I expect him to be as successful in the air going forward because of that. But to say uh, he's using the run game to open up the passing game, that's a tip of the cap to Sterling Gilbert. You could say that, and yes, the, the playbook is different, and I understand that. And yeah, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Sterling Gilbert because he's completely shifted the arsenal after taking away the play caller, after taking away the guy that is going to spearhead your offense. You switch from Tommy DeVito to Garrett Schrader, and it almost seems seamless. And yes, credit to Sterling Gilbert, but I want to give some credit to Garrett Schrader as well because this is a guy that came into uh, uh, you know the Syracuse system not knowing if he would play, and now he's already utilizing his strong suit to the benefit of the team. And this is a guy that's two games in, two starts in to his Syracuse career. So I look at him going into this Wake Forest game. He's going to be mainly a runner. We, we all know that Wake Forest has uh, the, uh, it's the sixth best run defense in the ACC, but it doesn't matter because Garrett Schrader is still going to utilize his legs. But it's all about will he utilize his passing game because Wake Forest is in the bottom half of the ACC in that department. I'm curious to see, can Schrader implement that part of the game? Yes, it's on Sterling Gilbert and his play calls, but I think it is more on Garrett Schrader. It is on Schrader. It, it always will be on Schrader and, and the offensive line specifically because Schrader is the type of player that is going to be able to make throws out of system, rolling out to his right and rolling out to his left if he has to. I showed, I saw a really good pocket presence from Garrett Schrader when he had to make a throw on the run or escape pressure in the backfield. But if he's asked to do that too much, then this offense is going to start to look a lot more like the one that Tommy DeVito was running. And I think it's on the offensive line to make sure that there's a clean pocket for a guy who is not the best passer in the world. The offensive line has to be good. And I think going into this game, everyone realizes you're you're up against a, a, a pretty good defense in Wake Forest, up against a team that's ranked that hasn't lost this season at 5-0. and and if we're going to you know, transition over to the other side, it's not just about how the offense is going to play. Obviously, Syracuse's defense has to put on a better performance than they did against Florida State. Lackluster at times. The secondary, there was just a bit of miscommunication. You could say, well, Jihad Carter wasn't there, but I think there were too many moments. He hasn't of, been there all year. Right. There, <laughs> there, were, there were too many moments of lapses on that Syracuse defense that and I think— also- Eric Coley was one of the highest-graded players that Syracuse had this past weekend in Pro Football Focus's ranking. So that's not the issue. I think what the issue is for the Syracuse defense is that Jordan Travis was too good, right? And that's that's pretty crazy this year because just a week prior, they held Malik Willis in check. They couldn't really do it against Jordan Travis, and they weren't getting that much pressure pressure on the edge. Cody Roscoe was not nearly as effective as he was against Liberty, 
and Josh Black was pretty much invisible, right? So what happens there, the edges are exposed. You rush Marlo Wax and Mike Kelly Jones up the middle. They'll get into the backfield, but Jordan Travis is so elusive in the pocket and, and in the backfield that he's able to roll out to the flat and have all the room down the sideline that he wants. Now, was it a hold? Sure, Marlo Wax was held. But that's just one play that had one exception to it. That was happening all day. So I think the Syracuse defense was exposed because I don't think those defensive ends are nearly as good as people are giving them giving them credit for. The defensive line, although experienced, did not prove their worth against Florida State. And this is where the entire defense is going to struggle against a guy like Sam Hartman. You kept Malik Willis in check, but now you're going up against a guy in Sam Hartman who doesn't play exactly like Jordan Travis where he has the legs to you know run a mile and a half and this is someone that's going to use his rushing game to his advantage but Sam Hartman has run the ball 31 times this year for 117 yards that's the fourth uh you know he's the fourth highest rusher on his team and although you could say that's not too impressive He's thrown for over 1,200 yards. That's where his game is going to be, you know, is going to be made on. Sam Hartman can still use his legs, so this defense really has to pick it up. Yeah, he picks his spots, but but like you mentioned, he's most dangerous as a passer, and that's why I think it's actually a good matchup for Syracuse because if they drop back into coverage, then Tony White is basically going to ask his defensive backs, "Hey, go out and make a play." And there are so many guys that can do that. Eric Coley being one of them. I don't think many people thought we'd be saying that, especially at this point in the year, because a lot of people thought Jahad Carter would be back. Coley's been good. Garrett Williams, of course, is reliable. Deuce Chestnut maybe got a bit of a shot in the arm after <laughs> that interception because he had kind of been in a little, almost like a fresh. he looked like a freshman at times between the Ohio game and the Florida State game, gets the interception. Maybe that's what he needed. But if it's going to be Sam Hartman's arm against the Syracuse 3-3-5, then I like SU's chances, to be honest. Yeah, it's a good matchup, but I also think that Wake Forest can counteract, you know, where Syracuse has been weak in the last couple weeks with running the ball. And I know Sam Hartman is going to take most of his chances in the air, but, you know, don't don't bank on Hartman throwing for over 400 yards. I do think Christian Beal and Christian Turner and other guys that are going to have the ability to run the ball, they're going to get a majority of the carries, and they're going to take advantage of it because if there is a weakness in the Syracuse defense, it is that run defense. It'll be interesting to see what Syracuse does against Wake Forest today. Now I'm with Brad Klein. Cameron, he's there with you on the score 1260 for Fizz Radio. Brad, it's a guy in Sam Hartman that has proven himself over the first five games. If there's one thing that this Syracuse defense can do to open up this game and get the ball back in the offensive hands, what is it? I think they're going to have to force some turnovers here. I think that's what it's going to come down to, right? They won the Liberty game on a turnover, and they did get some turnovers. They did get some lucky breaks against Florida State. Couldn't quite capitalize on them, but that came down to inches, right? You think back to the muff punt, and they get stuffed at the goal line a few plays later. But if they're able to force some turnovers, get the defense off the field, but more importantly, give the offense some inherited good field position, then it's going to be advantage Syracuse. But if Sam Hartman is able to move the ball down the field, not necessarily with pace, but to do it consistently without turning the ball over, then it's going to be a long day for SU. I was hoping you'd say turnovers because that's one thing that is so apparent from last year 
compared to this one. Another thing Syracuse has to do on the offensive end that we didn't talk about, convert on third downs. Maybe don't put yourself in, in tough positions. Last in the ACC in third down conversions. Now, one guy that's going to be missed on third downs and other downs in yardage situations is Taj Harris. He's entered the transfer portal as of a couple days ago, and this is a guy that Syracuse will desperately miss. Brad and I will talk about him on the other side of the break and who will step up for Syracuse in the receiving room here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Right back here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260, Cameron is there with Brad Klein gearing up for a Syracuse-Wake Forest showdown in the Dome. Wake Forest ranked 19th in the country, 5-0 on the season. So SU trying to pick up its first win over a ranked opponent this season. And a missing point in that one will be Taj Harris, who earlier this week announced that he'll be entering the transfer portal, has already received a plethora of offers, and it's a guy that Syracuse will miss heavily because it's a top receiver eighth in uh, receiving yards in SU history and led the Orange in receiving yards this season, had 16 catches on the year. So, Brad, that bodes the question against a team as potent as Wake Forest, against a defense as good as the Demon Deacons have. Who's going to step up for Syracuse in that receiving room? There are a lot of names, but someone has to step up and be that wide receiver one. Yes and no. I don't think they need one guy to be the common denominator week in and week out. Like last week, it was Courtney Jackson, who had a career day, six receptions, just under 60 yards, and he was really good. I don't know if he has the skill and the physical ability of Taj Harris to get separation on the best corner of a given team week in and week out. In fact, he does not. I'll just go out on the record and say that. Anthony Queeley is a guy who... Physically, I think, is more apt to be a wide receiver one. But there's actually a lot of depth in this wide receiver room. A lot of guys that not many people know about. I'm thinking two two, uh, names off the top of my head. Isaiah Jones. Talk about someone who's physically gifted. I mean, he has a lot of height on him. And then I'm thinking of Veronda Ganson Jr., who is a little bit young. A little bit, a little bit fresh, and, and of course, Damian Alford at six foot six. That that height's going to be exciting, right? But you think about Gadsden as a freshman. I think a lot of people expected him to say to be a special teams contributor. Beyond that, not much. But now I think he has a chance. Depth is going to be important for this Orange wide receiving court because you mentioned that a lot of guys are young. I think Anthony Queeley has to solidify himself as the wide receiver one if there's going to be a sole wide receiver one. He, he was used most last season. He was a guy that was behind Taj Harris, so now that Harris is gone, he should step up. But this has been a lackluster season for him, to say the least, only five catches on the year. So if you're Anthony Queeley, take advantage of this opportunity. But I'm glad you mentioned Damian Alford because if there's anyone – that can run routes down the 40, 50 yards down the field. It's a guy like Damian Alford at his height. Oh, yeah, you need Damian Alford on the field so Gary Trader can overthrow him by 10 <laughs> yards on the first play of the game. Yes, that's a possibility, <laughs> but, hey, you have if you're going to – if you're going to take into account that there's no Taj Harris there, you have to game plan for 
guys to run deep routes, guys to run short post routes, slant routes. I think that Anthony Queeley and Courtney Jackson can kind of monitor that 5 to 10 yard range on short passes that Garrett Trader will most likely throw when he doesn't want to run the ball every single play. But if there is anyone that can run deep routes, it's Damian Alford. So I, I, I'm not putting a lot of trust into Alford because you mentioned it. Garrett Schrader is the quarterback, and it's not Tommy DeVito, and all DeVito banks on is throwing the ball 40 yards downfield. Schrader is the complete opposite. But if you're looking at this wide receiver room, I actually disagree. I think one guy has to be a standout player, and I think it has to be Anthony Queeley. Unfortunately, what we've seen from Queeley this season is He's just not been that guy, and you could say it's because Garrett Schrader's the quarterback and he doesn't throw the ball as often as Tommy DeVito, which is, of course, a fact. But I think Queeley has to solidify himself as the true number one because if you don't, this Demon Deacons defense, they're going to absolutely you know, crush these wide receivers on the cover. I think it's way too easy to look at all these players as subpar. If one guy can stand out, then you can get others involved you know, as a process of elimination. I think Queeley has to be that guy. Queeley would be a good pick. He makes sense because he's been running routes alongside Taj Harris, so why wouldn't he just slide up to the, the top round of a given play, right? I think it actually will be Queeley, but I actually think that the biggest thing for whoever gets accelerated playing time in the absence of Taj Harris is to serve the running game. And as crazy as that might sound, I think the number one attribute for a wide receiver in this offense as it is today is downfield blocking. So if you can get a bigger frame out there with Taj Harris gone, and look, Harris at six foot two, 180, he was a pass catcher. That's fine. That's what you want out of a wide receiver one. But if you're not going to throw the ball, then get big bodies out there to block for Sean Tucker after he moves the chains. The issue with that is you look at the receivers on this team, and the only two that you can really point to is having those big frames that can be successful downfield blocking. Damian Alford and maybe a Rondé Gadsden. I, I just I look at I look at Sherrod Johnson. I look at Courtney Jackson, Anthony Queeley, and their designated pass catchers, guys that are skinnier in their frames, because those are the you could say three guys that if uh, any quarterback that preferred to throw the ball would they would be the ones that would go out and catch it. So, yes, you can bank on downfield blocking, but I just think that Syracuse hasn't built up that offense to recruit a lot of downfield blockers. That's the main issue. Maybe you look toward that in the future, but in my opinion, I don't think downfield blocking should be that much of an issue because when you really look at it, Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker have been able to find those holes and find the space themselves. I don't think downfield blocking is as important, and I don't think anyone on the Syracuse team can really play that role. Well, actually, Garrett Williams said earlier in the season uh, that Anthony Queeley is really good at downfield blocking and that that's something to look out for when it comes down to it. That might be his number one attribute, skinny and and sh- and a little bit shorter than you might want, sure, but he says that he's really strong in the weight room and that he can do it. Now, if Anthony Queeley, though, takes on that nitty-gritty, nitty-gritty receiver role, I think a lot of fans want to know who's going to be the star, right? And that's... That's a question that I think does not necessarily need an answer. 
It's a run-first offense. And I think if you want to do star receiver by committee, uh, one week it's Courtney Jackson against Florida State because he had a matchup, and the next week, maybe today against Wake Forest, it's Anthony Quealy. The next week after that, maybe it's Sharon Johnson. Who knows? I will say this one thing, though. Garrett Schrader has not proven a strong ability to be a strong passer, but what he has proven is that he has a lot of work to do with receivers not named Tosh Harris. I think back to the Liberty game, right? Damian Alford was missed time and time again. End of the second quarter, Sherrod Johnson, he, he just threw it to the wrong shoulder. Johnson tried to turn around, incomplete pass, not Johnson's fault, bad throw. That's a drive killer. And I think that's going to be something that Schrader has to figure out on the fly. Cameron, he's there with Brad Klein here on the score 1260. This is Fizz Radio gearing you up for this Saturday showdown between Syracuse and Wake Forest. I understand that. I think a lot of it is on Schrader because he needs to get, you know, get his stuff in check in the throwing department to get these guys involved. I just wonder, as you get deeper into ACC play, when does having a run-based offense, and when you look at the Syracuse team, it is mainly a run-based offense. When does that become too predictable when you have to get your wide receivers involved and they just haven't gotten a lot of, you could say, playing time or even the ability to catch the ball in a high-pressure situation that they're able to actually do it in ACC play? Let me, let me put it this way, okay? In camp, Queeley said... Hey, Taj is really important to this offense because defense is game plan for him. Now, there's a talent factor there. Defenses have to game plan for Taj Harris because he's a very talented guy and has the ability to just break the lid off of a defense. I don't know if there's, I know this is a deep receiver room in that there are a lot of guys who could see the field realistically. I don't know how deep it is in terms of talent. So Anthony Queeley is a guy that I think of as a guy, not necessarily a guy that Wake Forest today is going to be game planning for. Now, Queeley has said, hey, I want to be the guy that defense is game planned for, but as long as I'm looking at this team right now, I'm seeing Sean Tucker, Garrett Schrader, and Pons around them, to be honest. That's an issue. I see that as an issue. It is an issue, but but this is this is the type of thing you're not going to be able to change midseason. Well, you is, have to. This is how. This is the team you have. It, it is, but it, there's it's, a reason that Damian Alford did not play as much as Taj Harris, or that Aronde Gadsden doesn't have more than I think he has one catch this year. There's a reason. Yeah, but those guys need to get more involved. That's the point. They're gonna try. They're gonna try, and, and, and incidentally, they will get more catches. They will get more yards because now there are more receptions to go around. But that does not mean that someone is going to be Taj Harris. They're going to try. They won't be. There's a reason that Taj Harris was wide receiver one. He was the best. And I think that you could start to mention, you know, looking forward for Syracuse football, this team is in desperate need of recruiting wide receivers because one guy leaves and we're talking about, well, there's Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader and really no one out on the slot or in the flat or anywhere on the outside edges. Where I talk about with Anthony Quealy, a guy with 37 catches last year, I think he needs to be that guy that steps up against Wake Forest so defenses can game plan for them, and then that run offense doesn't become too predictable. Now, we're going to take a quick break here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Cameron, he's there with Brad Klein. But when we come back, we'll step away from football a little bit and do the 
five-star review, talking a little basketball, talking a little Chris Bunch. We'll be back in a bit. I'm going to need a five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. It's time for the five-star review here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Cameron is there with Brad Klein. We just talked about a lot about football, and of course, rightfully so, because Syracuse is taking on Wake Forest today. Let's talk a little Syracuse hoops, because the 2022 recruiting scene is far from over, and someone that just took a visit to Syracuse, Chris Bunch, 6'7", small forward, of course, class of 2022. He's a guy that's dwindled his his choices down to his top three between Rutgers, Syracuse, and Washington. Now, there are a lot of signs pointing toward Rutgers, but this is a guy that you know Syracuse has been considering for a while, and the Orange could use him as another piece to an already stacked 2022 puzzle. So, Brad, talk about Chris Bunch, a guy that's good with both hands, he brings energy, pace to you know to the high school game. He could do it in college. How do you feel about Chris Bunch? Well, first of all, let me just say, I think Syracuse being in the running for a recruit that could help them as a lanky small forward and competing with Rutgers and Washington might be the most Syracuse thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's number one, right? Uh, what do I think? I think he'd be a good piece to add because – he could shoot, and that's where Syracuse is going, right? I think that's going to be their first, second, third, and fourth strength this year is shooting, and that's fine if that's your identity as long as they go. But I think you and I were talking about this actually off-air, how his game mirrors Justin Taylor, right? And Taylor's a guy who's going to be a shooter. So if you're getting more shooting in bunch, that's fine. You need depth because – we what what Joe Girard has proven especially is not every shooter is going to be a good shooter every game. So you need more guys, more bodies. Now what Chris Bunch does offer is, yeah, he can shoot the ball, but he's also a guy that can get to the rim with ease. And, you, of course, you haven't watched him in college because he hasn't gotten there yet, but he's proved it at the high school ranks. It's a guy that ranks 97th in ESPN's top 100 players in the class of 2022. But, yeah, it's another small forward, Brad. It's another it's another guy that everyone's going to speculate. Where is he playing in the 2-3 zone and is Jim Beheim going to give him a lot of playing time if if a few guys stay in this small forward class or even position group is just so deep for Syracuse. What can Bunch add? Well, it's just that. It's valuable depth and I know that Jim Beheim doesn't use a lot of depth in the first place, but if there's one guy that can give Syracuse the ability to play well in the ACC. It's a guy like Chris Bunch because coming off the bench, he could be a weapon. And that's something Syracuse hasn't had in a while off the bench. Yes, is Chris Bunch, does he mirror a lot of what Justin Taylor does? He's a skinnier Justin Taylor at the same position. So what does Bunch add? It adds depth. I think Syracuse can use that. There's no, you know, there's nothing bad with adding depth and more bench depth to the team. Well, let me ask you a question, and it has nothing to do with him being just a few spots ahead of Justin Taylor in the ESPN rankings. Are we sure that if Chris Bunch came to Syracuse, he would not start over Justin Taylor? Why not? 
I don't think that Chris Bunch would start over Justin Taylor because Taylor's a better shooter. And I also think that... It- well, hold on, though. You're going to have that in Benny Williams. You're going to have that in Kadir Copeland. And you're going to have that in Cole Swider. So this is the caveat. You look at those top three, a lot of arrows pointing toward Rutgers because of the playing time. I think when Bunch looks at Syracuse, he's going to see okay, a deep shooting forward position. Okay, I can shoot the ball. It seems like a lot of people on the Syracuse team can do the same at my position, at my height. What can I add to the team? If Chris Bunch wants to come to Syracuse, it's because he wants the name and he wants the recognition. And he feels like this class of 2022 uh, group is something special. I think that's the only way that Bunch comes to Syracuse because Rutgers is knocking on his door and he could start for the Scarlet Knights. I wonder if Syracuse is at all surprised that they made the top three. Oh, they are. I'm sure they are because you you, you get a guy like Justin Taylor who we're already comparing Taylor to Bunch and then you also bring in Benny Williams and it almost feels like Bunch was the safety net and now he wants to come even though you've landed the guys that you were trying to at his position. So... Now he's just there, and Syracuse is not going to turn him away, but it definitely seems like an embarrassment of riches at the small forward position. It is, and I don't think Syracuse is complaining. Uh, To be in someone's top three, that's a win for an SU team that already has a solidified small forward for the 2022 class. So, uh, you know, Bunch could be the next great wing. He could also be just another bench option, and that's why it's something to talk about because he took his official visit, and the fact that Syracuse is in his top three, like I mentioned, I think that's a win in its own right. Now, I want to transition over to another player here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260, Cameron Ezer, with Brad Klein talking some five-star review and some SU basketball recruits, a guy in Malik Brown. 6'9", power forward. This is a position, uh, or, uh, you know, a specific position that, Brad, you and I have been talking about for a while because if Syracuse needs depth at any spot in the 2022 class with Kadir Copeland already there, Justin Taylor as well, now no Kamari lands and Peter Carey at the center spot, it's at the power forward position. I think Malik Brown could be huge for the Syracuse team in pick and rolls, and he can. he's a guy that's already played in the 2-3 zone back in high school, so he understands the system already. You put him at the wing spot in the 2-3 zone on the bottom, and I think that Brown could have a lot of success. So you talk about bunch at the small forward position. I think there needs to be a bit more focus on someone like Malik Brown there's not a lot of guys that are playing power forward for Syracuse in 2022. Fair. I do think that Malik Brown would be expected to be something that he's not, right? And at six foot nine, it's almost disappointing. You just say to yourself, you think to yourself, man, I, w- I wish he was two inches taller. And, <laughs> and that way, that way he could play the middle. And that, that's something that Syracuse is probably going to be forced to play Peter Carey in the middle unless they get a transfer, which. I think is probably what they're going to end up having to do is get a transfer in there because Carey's not the guy. I think I think it would be an interesting fit with Malik Brown. I don't know if it's necessarily essential because if they already have depth at the small forward position, then you might as well just go a little bit shorter, a little bit small at power forward and play the best guys. But don't get Malik Brown just because he's a power forward. That's a mistake. 
It might be a mistake, but if you're Syracuse, this also just might be a ploy to say, hey, all these recruits want to come to Syracuse, you should come too. You see what's happening with Chris Bunch. Syracuse might not even want Chris Bunch that bad, but the fact that he's considering the orange and the fact that Syracuse has been, you know, uh, tied on his hip throughout this entire recruiting process says something about Syracuse recruiting. It's gotten better. That's something that we've realized in the 2022 class. Of course, the pair of D commitments isn't a good look at all. But if you're Syracuse, just having a bunch of guys that have your team and your logo on their list, I think that's a positive to look at. It might seem trivial, but in my opinion, I think that having Malik Brown, Chris Bunch, and other guys on SU's radar is a good look. Now, going back to Brown, I feel like at the power forward position, yeah, you can go short. But you can also consider that you have a guy that knows how to play that position. So there's a lot to touch on and a lot to talk about. But I think that Malik Brown and Chris Bunch could be valuable options. They're valuable options. I do think that the 2-3 zone, if you are physically capable, if you're long enough, then it can be taught. And there will be growing pains there. But you know, to say, oh, well, Malik Brown is at six foot nine, maybe a pretty attractive option to say that he played the zone. That's all great. But Jim Beheim's been doing this for a very long time. His assistants have been doing it for a very long time, too. Not as long. But they will get whichever recruit, whichever recruits come, they'll get them up to speed. And the two, three zone itself will be fine. I think you have to recruit more for offense and teach the zone once they get here. Make sure you check out all of our SU basketball recruiting articles on our website, orangefizz.net. Cameron is there with Brad Klein. We're going to wrap this thing up after the break here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260 with a little bit of Fizz feedback as we head to the Twitterverse to see what Fizz Nation has to say about everything we've talked about so far on this show. Don't go anywhere. Wrapping things up here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260, Cameron Izaire with Brad Klein on the Syracuse football game day as the Orange take on Wake Forest, 19th in the country. But we got to hit the Twitterverse and talk about Fizz feedback. Let's see what Fizz Nation has to say about everything we've been talking about. Brad, hit me with the first question. All right, so we mentioned that Taj Harris is out. That means someone's got to step up at the receiver position. Who is going to be that guy. Wide receiver one without Harris. It's either Courtney Jackson, Anthony Queeley, or Damian Alford. And I got to tell you, Fizz Nation is pretty split on this one. Are they? Uh, and I'm, I'm shocked by that because the guy that caught 37 passes last year compared to, you mentioned Courtney Jackson, Damian Alford, who combined, you know, the two of them combined for less of that. Anthony Queeley has to be that guy. Not sure what Fizz Nation said, but I have to go with Queeley. It's going to be Damian Alford, 41% of the vote. Wow. I think it's because Alford has been the most visible, one of the most visible receivers with Taj Harris there. I think he has a very good downfield ability that Harris, that you lose with Taj Harris. So I think it is almost like a natural progression of power to, to bring in Damian Alford as that guy with Taj Harris out. Yeah, uh, he made one great catch against Albany, and obviously it's against the Great Danes, so not you know too much validity to that. But uh, yeah, Damian Alford is definitely going to have to be 
a you know deep ball option, and I think that Fizz Nation is just hoping that if Garrett Schrader does learn how to throw the football more consistently, Damien Alford could be that guy. But hey, that, that's why today is for to prove it against Wake Forest. Now, what about the second one, Brad? All right, who's just straight up? Who's gonna win this game? Syracuse, Wake Forest, and Fizz Nation slightly biased here. No, no real surprise. Fifty-eight percent say the Orange. There you go, and I agree with Fizz Nation. I went into this game before even the Florida State game got underway saying Syracuse would beat Wake Forest. First off, this is almost like a must-win for the Cuse, and you might be asking yourself, how is that even possible? Well, if Syracuse loses to Wake Forest, the Orange drop to 3-3, three and three, then you got to play Clemson. Yeah, not uh, not the Clemson of old, but let's say you lose to Clemson at home. Now you're 3-4, and four, and you're forced to go the rest of ACC play and really hunker down on that tough schedule in the conference. I'm going to say Syracuse wins this game because no matter what Wake Forest throws at the Orange, then Garrett Schrader, Sean Tucker, they're going to have days like they did against Florida State. And I have trust in the defense behind the dome crowd. Now, in Florida State, it seemed like the defense was a bit stifled. I think a big part of that wasn't a lot of support coming from the outside. I'm going with Syracuse in this one to take it over Wake Forest as much as you might see it as an upset I don't think it's that much of an upset and the Orange get the victory. I agree with you mostly because of what you said about the dome field advantage, Ryan. I think the Syracuse defense will come back in a big way because of that third down bleacher spank, right? And I think Michael Jones said it best when he said the biggest difference between last year without fans and this year with them is third down. So I think you mentioned it earlier in the show that the Orange have struggled with third down on both sides of the ball. I think this is where they bounce back in that department. So we're going to agree with Fizz Nation here. How about that? Uh, hey, that's something that I, I thought I'd never say because it just seems Whoa. like. I, no, I, hey, one thing that I love to do is whatever Fizz Nation tries to portray, I want to play that devil's advocate perspective. And it seems like in a, in a bias front, and Brad, I know you're laughing at me, but taking it from a bias front, you say that, you know, most most of Fizz Nation wants to take Syracuse. I think in any other case, I would take Wake Forest if this game wasn't in the Dome. I have a lot of confidence in the fans bringing the energy, which I didn't think would happen in a game like Liberty. That game against Liberty showed me that Dome field advantage is a real thing. And, and if I was going to throw out a score prediction, Brad, I don't know if you have one. I think this is going to be a close game. Give me 31-24 to 24 Syracuse. 31-24. Okay. I actually think that it's going to be a little bit more, a little bit lower scoring game. I think maybe 27-20 might be a good score. Wow. Syracuse by a touchdown. Why not? See, the, what's funny is I was thinking about going higher because Sam Hartman is so good at the quarterback position and knows how to throw for yardage. I, I'm shocked that you went lower. On, I thought you'd go Twitter, higher. At Cuse Face Killer was a little, <laughs> little concerned about Sam Hartman saying that there's too much pressure on Deuce Chestnut and Garrett Williams. So he's, uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's one of the 42% that took Wake Forest here from Fizz Nation. But I don't know. I think with the crowd, I do think that while Sam Hartman is a good quarterback, he might have a tough time with the crowd. And it's going to be hard to move the ball between the 20s. So I don't know how high scoring this game's going to be. I think that Syracuse proved against Florida State on the offensive side 
that if the game does go into the 20s or even the 30s, that the Orange can keep up with whatever team. So give me Syracuse 31, Wake Forest 24. Now I heard that our final Fizz feedback is about basketball, so what about that? Chris Bunch, we gave our thoughts on where he stands in his SU recruitment, but the question is for Fizz Nation, how confident are you that Chris Bunch will come to Syracuse? He had four options here. A, it's set in stone. B, probably. C, probably not. Or no chance. Let's teeter between probably and probably not, but leaning toward probably. Because I think that Washington is a complete afterthought. I think it's the discussion is between Syracuse and Rutgers. And at the end of the day, Chris Bunch should go where he knows he's getting playing time, although it would be great to see him in Syracuse Orange. I think he's going to go to Rutgers because that playing time is promised. And it's a it's a group in Rutgers and a program in Rutgers that has been right on Chris Bunch throughout this entire recruiting process. Syracuse has been the same, but I'm looking at Chris Bunch as a guy that wants playing time, wants that valuable experience. I think he goes to Rutgers. I'm going to say probably because if it was to dwindle down to a top two, then it would be Syracuse against Rutgers, but I wouldn't blame anyone for teetering toward probably not. Yeah, so 51% of Fizz Nation is saying he's probably coming to the Hill, and then 35% at probably not. That's 14% either split between it's set in stone and no chance, overly confident or overly not, right? I, I do think I agree with you. It's between probably and probably not. You have to have at least some glimmer of hope in the probably range because SU is in his top three. So that's just straight up right there. I agree with you. He's probably going to want more playing time than is offered to him immediately. But on the other hand, this is a weird time we live in. Transfer portal is such a big part of the sport that it might, the transfer portal might incline players like Bunch to take a chance if he likes Syracuse more than Rutgers, even though he understands maybe the playing time isn't there right away, take a chance, go to Syracuse, enjoy school for a year, try to play, and if you can't, then you leave. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that because you're right. The transfer portal is now so open with the new NCAA rules. Now, again, it is game day here in Syracuse against Wake Forest. Sean Tucker is most likely going to be a focal point. So, Brad, one more thing before we wrap things up. You think Sean Tucker is going to play well? Well, he has to if he wants to win that Maxwell Award, right? <laughs> By the way, go check out my article, orangefizz.net. It's up there. Sean Tucker's chances to win the Maxwell Award for Player of the Year. Do I think he's going to play well? Yeah, because he's a really good player. I think th- the question is how well can he play in that how often will Syracuse be able to give him the ball? Will Wake Forest stack the box? Will they just try to take Sean Tucker out of the game, no questions asked, and ask the now depleted passing game to beat them, I know that that's what I would do. If I was Clausen, I would just say, hey, anyone but Sean Tucker. That's what I would do. Sean Tucker will pass the century mark. I'm giving that to Fizz Nation. That's Fizz Feedback. That's Fizz Radio on the score 1260 with Cameron Ezer and Brad Klein. Everyone enjoy the game and make sure you enjoy our articles on orangefizz.net as well as our Twitter at orangefizz. Enjoy the game, everyone.